Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to Episode 6 of the No Look Pass Podcast, presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son, who goes on 3 a.m. Twitter following binges. And I have my co-host with me today, Andy Flint. Flint Moe, what's good? Rest in peace to Zach Levine's ankles, because Derrick Rose did some very bad things to him. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't see that. Was, was it vicious? Oh, man, he... Yeah, you got to go look at that. He, he can still cross people over. Yeah, he's got time. I mean, if Rain the Night came back, anybody can. So uh, today we are going to finish our positional drafts with the big men. Um, if you sniff too much crazy glue as a kid and haven't listened to the first five episodes, which you can com- find conveniently at WRSPN.com or at the War Room Sports channel on iTunes. Basically what we do is Andy and I rank each position 1 through 30, and then we take turns drafting them. Uh, so we we obviously are at the end with the centers. Andy, remind me next year that we should do this before every position. But I wanted, I want you to tell the people first before I uh, go into the rankings of the center. What do you look for in a center? So, what is like your prototypical center? I, for me, I mean, I think that what a prototypical center is, uh, what what a prototypical center was, maybe you know, back in the 90s is kind of what it's starting to come back back around to. And, you know, that that's kind of the era I really started watching basketball. And, you know, you had guys like Mutombo and Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, Shkiel, and, you know, David Robinson, these guys. I think we're getting back to these big players. Because if you remember for a while, we were kind of getting smaller, it seemed like, in the National Basketball Association. But I'd like to see, you know, guys like uh, Rudy Gobert. We'll talk about the Jazz a little bit tonight. Guys like that. Um you know, just holding it down. There's a, and there's a lot of good young guys. Alex Lynn, uh, Joseph Nurkic. I mean, these guys. The the league right now is is full of these big seven footers, and that's what I think you need. I think you need a rebounder and a paint protector, not so much a scorer. I'm not a, as big of a fan as like the Nikola Vucevic players that are uh, you know back to the basket, Al Jefferson type scores. I want a shot blocker and a rebounder in there. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think there is definitely a rebirth of the centers, even though the NBA, I think, as a whole is going smaller. I, I do believe that the center position specifically is sort of alive and well, you know, where we have, a, you know, some young guys like Gobert, which we will talk about soon. Um, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that you need a rim protector. Like, if you're a center and you take more charges than go for blocks, like, I, you could be in the NBA, that's cool, but I don't respect your hustle. I mean, I don't respect your hustle as a center. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm talking to you, Boogie Cousins. I'm talking to you, Al Jefferson. These guys that, like, you have, like, a, a point guard coming to you at the rim and, and your your reaction is to just, you know, put your hands, fold your hands and try and take a charge. Nah, like, you're seven feet tall. You need to be blocking that shot. And I, 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 I get so frustrated when I watch when I watch games and I just see seven-footers trying to take charges when guards are coming at them. Just ridiculous. Big, big guys catch big guys catch praise for that though nowadays. It's like I mean, you get a guy like uh, a Joe Kim Noah is one of those guys who he'll block your shot, but he's also very adept at taking charges. And I, you know, they they get revered for that sort of thing. I can't remember. There used to be a guy. I don't remember what his name is now. Was it? Chris Jeffries, maybe? He used to play for the Knicks. This guy, all he did was get charges. He weighed about 150 pounds. He was like six eleven. His last name? Yeah, know. yeah. His last Jeffrey. name was Jeffrey. 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 I don't. I don't remember what his first name was, but I don't think it was. He Chris, was a but twig. I know exactly who you're but that's about. all he did. Yeah, he. That's all he did he was, was like charges. seven foot one fifty. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, I'm. I'm gonna get into the rankings here, but first, I do want to say that every for each of these rankings, basically, we we 
go back and forth and we rank them. And then Andy sends me the rankings and like a spreadsheet that he makes. And you have more misspellings in the centers than you have for any. Oh, you it's, have, it's um, so Hassan, bad. Hassan Whiteside is Hassan Whitehead on here. <laughs> like, <if> you, <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's because I'm doing it. I'm doing it on my phone. And I'm my. I hate my thumbs. It's either my thumbs or a touch screen. One of them has to go because they don't work together. And I'm just mashing, mashing stuff. And by the time I'm trying to correct it, I'm just like, this is worthless. I have to erase the whole name. So I know what I'm talking about. And initially, I hadn't planned to send them to anybody. So now Frank's going to be on social media posting my my grammatical errors. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hope I don't mess any of these names up because I'm I'm going to assume that I've corrected all of them that are wrong. But I might. Ah. So we are going to start at number 30. We're going to do the same thing that we did last week, Andy. When I get to the guy you want to talk about that's ranked too high or too low, just go stop. So number 30, Tiago right. Splitter. Number 29, Kelly Olynyk. 28, Brendan Wright. 27, John Henson. 26, Jordan Hill. 25, Roy Hibbert. Oh, boy. 24, Stephen Adams. 23, uh, Yusef Nurkic. 22, Robin Lopez. 21, Omer Sheik. 20, 20, Nikola Pekovic. 19, Gordy Jang. 18, Hassan Whiteside, not Whitehead. 17, Ennis Cantor. 16, Andrew Bogut. 15, Marcin Gortat. 14, Tyson Chandler. 13, Timofey Mozgov. So I'm stop. going to stop. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to stop you too. Oh, wait. Are we stopping at Mozgov? Yeah, we're, we're both stopping at Mozgov. It was like a big roadblock, screeching halt, fire, tires squealing. Yeah. Yeah, a big uh, the size of Russia, just like just like Moscow. So go ahead on to the same Moscow. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in kind of letting you lead on this one. I think I led last time. I want to hear. I, I'm I'm interested that we both pick the same guy. Okay, so you drafted Timothy Moscow at 13. I did, and at the at the time, I told you I told you it was way too high, and I can't help but agree with myself in the preseason, which is when we did these <laughs> rankings, that it is still. And you have guys, so Timothy Mozgov is ahead of guys like Tyson Chandler, Bogut, Hassan Whiteside, and Marcin Gortat. I don't think he's better than any of those guys. I mean, I think what he is to me is he's a very good role player, and all those guys are more than role players. So Mozgov came in last month with, you know, last year with Cleveland, and he did an amazing job. He brought them something that they didn't have, which was uh, Anderson Veragel's spot that he eventually gives up because he, like, twists an ankle every third game. So... Basically, they didn't have, like, a guy up front that could alter shots, could give them energy. That guy's supposed to be Tristan Thompson. And, I mean, I think he's he's done that now for them. And I think it, it, it's just I don't see Mozgov that high. I don't know. He doesn't bring anything really offensively to the table. I mean, he has a couple of post moves, but it's nothing really – I mean, not that they need it because it's not like they're throwing the ball into Timothy Mozgov in the post, that they have, you know, three of the top ten players in the league that can create offense. But I just think it's entirely too high for somebody that makes a difference only on one side of the court mostly and also somebody that's basically a role player. You know, I think the thing – in a sense, I think a lot of these guys become role players here down the line. I, I mean, I, I'm always – and you're going to hate it because I know you're a huge fan. I've always kind of thought of Tyson Chandler as a role player, a strong role player, but he's never oh, done no, like – Oh, I, I, I absolutely can. I mean, if you look at Tyson Chandler, he's a guy who I, I feel like he probably has scored off of more Jason Kidd lobs than Richard Jefferson, Vince Carter, and Kenyon Martin combined. I, I mean, and, and even saying that, I mean, Tyson Chandler, I, 
Tyson Chandler was the third best player on a, on a championship team and probably the leader of a championship team. I mean, you could say Tyson Chandler was the soul of, of that Mavs team, not Dirk Nowitzki. You can make that argument. I don't think Timothy Moskov will ever be the soul of a championship team. But now we're predicting the future here. I think the thing with Moskov, and honestly, the reason I wanted you to go first is because, I, I mean, obviously I'm the one that picked him. I think my logic here was the fact that I, I expected, you know, he's still a relatively young guy and playing with LeBron and playing, you know, under the spotlight. And he did step up, and he showed a lot. Of, I think what he showed is a lot of energy. I mean, it's almost something that Tyson Chandler brings to your team. He was, you know, look at the way that uh, Mozgov plays. I mean, he, he gets boards, you know, he's in your face, he blocks shots, he dunks the ball, he's always he's animated. He's just one of those, like, live wire guys. And I really thought he was going to be better, you know, get around that corner that he was kind of, you know, he's standing there between I can be a really good impactful player or, uh, you know, I can be a guy who has an F in his name instead of a TH. And, you know, he chose, he chose the ladder. He's kind of, I mean, he still does some good things. I think there's positive things to say about him, but yeah, I I agree. agree. There's probably several guys he could drop below easily. Yeah. And I mean, I like Timothy Moskov. I don't mind Timothy Moskov as a player, but I, I do mind him as the 13th best center in the league. You know, I mean, I think he's more in your 20 category. I think he's more around like the Omera Sheiks and the Robin Lopez's of the world than the Rudy Gobert's and the Tyson Chandler's of the world. Uh, Hopefully he so doesn't turn into Omar Sheik. Omar Sheik is a disappointing player. Yeah, I'm going to keep going to, to the top 12. And then I, I have a quick question for you, uh, and it's center related. And, and I, uh, I tweeted about it earlier because I was retweeting something that I saw um, from NBA.com columnist uh, John Schumann. So, I wanted to ask you about it. But uh, first, I'm going to finish the top 12 here. Number 12, Rudy Gobert. Number 11, jo- Jonas Valanciunas. Number 10, Brooke Lopez. Number 9, Al Jefferson. Number 8, having a monster year so far, Andre Drummond. Number 7, Joachim Noah. Number 6, Nikola Vucevic. Number 5, DeAndre Jordan. Number 4, Al Horford. Al Horford over DeAndre Jordan is really surprising. I don't even remember doing that. Number 3, Mark Gasol. Number 2, Dwight Howard. And number 1, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, so we can we can talk a little bit about uh, Dwight Howard at two, which I think is <laughs> worthy of a discussion. But um, I first wanted to ask you about the thing I tweeted earlier, which was it was talking about the Thunder giving seventy million dollars to Ennis Cantor when they have who is only good on one end of the court, which is offense, and they have two of the best offensive players in the league. My question to you is: Are we sure that Ennis Cantor is better than Stephen Adams? Are we positive about that? I mean, I think it depends on how you look at it. I think if you ask me, is Ennis Canner better at putting the ball in the basket? Absolutely. Is he a better fit with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant? I I don't think so. I, no, I, I I prefer Steven Adams in that system. Do I, I I mean, and that's the thing that you could come down to the debate here because the way those two sat in this draft, too, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, because I think, he's seven spots ahead. I think, Cantor is seven spots ahead of Adams. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think if you're if I'm starting a team today, well, I, and that's tough too because Steve Adams is all those things we talked about earlier, being you know a rebounder, a, a live wire guy. But I mean, he's you know I I think Steve Adams gets this label that he's like a a defensive player, and he is. But I think when when you talk about a center being a defensive player, people automatically think that they're like a rim protector. And I don't really know that Steven Adams does that. I think he's kind of a weird player. I think he has room to grow. And it seems like Cantor's just kind of the opposite of him, and they like to play them, you know, some here, some there. But, yeah, I mean, that much money to sink into a 
an offensive-minded player, kind of just – I mean, it's almost back to the thing, like, OKC always seems to have, like, all of these guys who can score the basketball. I mean, before they had Harden. <laughs> and now, you know, now they right. have a, a cancer who's just a, a, a polished kind of offensive guy who doesn't really give you much else. Yeah, it's it's weird. I think it, it makes you feel good. He's a security blanket, I but – no, I don't. I don't necessarily yeah. like it. I think and they Steven have waiters. Should be getting they have waiters too. Who Who's totally that? fits into that category. Yeah, Dion Waiters. Uh, I, I think uh, the the bandwagon is officially a ghost town. But my little thing about Stephen Adams is I I really don't know the answer to the question because I feel like it is a little apples to oranges, like you're kind of saying. There's so, there's such opposite players that I think they're very hard to compare. But the thing I love about Stephen Adams is in a league where everybody loves each other everybody hates Steven Adams for some reason. And to be able to accomplish that, I think, is incredibly impressive. Because, I mean, you need a goon. just... Everybody needs a goon. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's assumed the role of the goon. I mean, I think he might be the most hated player in the NBA. Which, And I think there's something to be said about that. Um, I just think the Thunder get scared, though, that what's going to happen is, you know, they, they, they've had trouble in the past. When Westbrook and Durant need rest, even when one of them needs a rest and the other one's out there, like you need somebody to fall back on. And I think it's, it's a real luxury to have a guy like Tanner who you can just give the ball to a few times, let Westbrook or Durant get a break. He can get you some baskets. You can't do that with Stephen A. And you can't do it with Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is actually – Serge Ibaka, if you ask me, is the guy I want out of the scenario in OKC. This guy would rather shoot threes than do anything else. He's such a gifted defensive player. And he's like, no, nah, oh. man, I'm a polished scorer. Shades on. Yeah. Smoking yeah, a cigar. I'm very – I'm, I'm very pro Serge Ibaka. But, all right, so real quick, because we're going to move on from the center chat because we want to talk about um, some actual basketball being played on the court, uh, just not in theory. So I think you probably feel that Dwight Howard is too high at two, and that's who I picked at two. And actually, before the preseason, I still had him at one. I had Dwight Howard, Marcus Gasol, and then Boogie at three. And so I think I was like, maybe holding on to a little nostalgia with Dwight Howard, who I, you probably know this because you're a Magic fan. Dwight Howard is, has averaged a double-double every single year of his career, even his rookie year, double-double just every year, which is incredibly impressive to me. And I think maybe that, and I'm I'm such a – he almost reminds me a little bit. It's sort of maybe a bad metaphor, but he, he sort of reminds me of like Allen Iverson towards the end when like we just wanted to believe that Allen Iverson was still a great player. And I think we're seeing – I think the better comparison with this is Kobe this year. Like we just want Kobe to be Kobe so bad, and he's not, and it's, and it's really sad to watch. But I think Dwight Howard a little bit for me is like that. I just still had that nostalgia that Dwight Howard's still this like 2020 guy, which he dipped in up 2020 last night, speaking of which. And, you know, he's he's still this guy that is dominant, and I'm not sure that he is. So I think he should be probably a little bit lower on this list than he's not. So my apologies, I mean, I didn't, but hey, I took him at two. I didn't disagree with you at the time. I, see, the thing with Howard is, is you just keep it, – it, it's the issue of the last time you saw him play at – and here's air quotes because you never really know what, what is what. But the last time we saw him play at full strength, in air quotes, everyone, full strength, he was still dominant. You know, he, right. he went through that Lakers season where he was beat up, and even last year he was beat up. So now it's like, oh, well, Dwight's just going to be fine. He's still a relatively young guy. I mean, it's going to turn out. I think the back injury is, is already done what it's done, and I I feel like we still have a Dwight Howard who he's, he's going to occasionally get 20 and 20 because he's strong and he's athletic and he knows positioning and stuff like that. But I think the days of him, I, I feel like we're looking more at like a 15 or 16 point per game. Dwight Howard, 10 rebounds. I mean, he's still going to block some shots. He's still, still a good player, but it's, it's not happening anymore. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. All right, so we are going to move on to our, our weekly segment that we're going to do here every week. Um, but before we do, before we move on to our next segment, we are also brought to you by sports-kings.com, where you can find all the latest breaking news, videos, and gossip in the sports world. Visit sports-kings.com slash pass the pill specifically to find all your hoops needs. Again, that's sports-kings.com. So we are going to move on to our next segment, which is while you were watching the NBA, or while you were watching TNT, I messed it up. While you were watching TNT, we, Andy and I, were watching the Utah Jazz. And, Andy, my question to you, as usual, is going to be, how many Utah Jazz games did you watch, and what were your impressions? Uh, I caught two. I actually, what, they played three games this week. I watched uh, the two wins, actually. <laughs> I missed the, the Trailblazers game, the loss. You know, an interesting fact is they still haven't even broken 100 points in a game yet. I think they've got 99 against Philly. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't realize that in my research. And they're foreign, and they're foreign too. I mean, nice little tidbit. Yeah. Didn't break 100 points. Oh, boy. Yes, I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to break 100 points in the league these days because it's such a fast-paced game. And we're going to get into that. Why? Because they're not a fast-paced team. So that might be why they haven't broken 100 points. But I mean, what else? What else did you see from them? Were you impressed? Did you, I mean, were you disappointed? I am impressed. I think obviously the Portland game is is a little disappointing um, because you know they're arguably the the worst team they played in three games. Um, to me, the most important one was the Memphis game. Obviously, that's the the in my mind the better of the three teams. Uh, the Nuggets were the third one. You know, some of the things I saw that, that I liked, I guess we'll, we'll start there. Let me give you some of my likes. I like uh, I like the patience. I think they play like a mature team. Um, the the defense is a sign, and that, that's kind of why they haven't scored 100 points yet, in my opinion, is the way that they're playing. They're dictating the game. I mean, obviously that Memphis Grizzlies game is going to get nowhere near 100. But, uh, you know, to go, they went into Denver, and Denver's kind of a mess of the team, but the, they play there. It's hard to win in Denver. They win that one. I, I think they seem to be controlling games, I, and it's it's odd because they have a young team. I mean, you look at their, their pieces, Gordon Hayward, uh, Rudy we talked about. They still kind of have a little bit of an issue at that point guard position. I don't I don't really know what's going on there, but they can shoot the ball, man. Everybody on that team can seem to shoot. I mean, not every single player, but they have a lot of shooters. You look at teams, like I watch a lot of Magic basketball because I'm a Magic fan, and the Magic just on some nights cannot make jump shots. They just don't have these polished shooters, and the Jazz have that. And I think the, you know, the misconception that, sorry, Charles Barkley, that jump shooting teams can't win championships is is dead and gone at this point. I I think the Jazz, once they settle in and find like a true go-to guy and a true scorer, because I don't think Hayward's doing that yet. I think he can. I think he passes a yeah. little too much sometimes. But once they get to yeah. that guy that can just, they can lean on as a crutch, I think they're going to be tough to beat. I mean, they, they really, they have the defensive thing down, and that's, to me, the most important aspect of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I agree that they, they most definitely can shoot. And you're talking about the Magic. I am a, I'm a Nets fan, as people know. And there's actually the, uh, the Brooklyn game, which is a, a Nets blog, a very popular Nets blog. Uh, they actually have something called the Nets-Stephen Curry watch because Steph, Steph Curry is currently tied or just ahead of the Nets in three-pointers this season as a team, as a complete team. <laughs> so that's the thing. So when you talk about a team that can't shoot, uh, I first want to shout out, you know, if we're talking about the Utah Jazz, you got to shout out Professor Snape for getting a coaching job in the NBA. I'm glad to see the Hogwarts education paying off. You know, I mean, it, it's incredible. You can go from from Harry Potter to the NBA. I mean, anything's possible. KG voice. Uh, but the other thing, like like you're saying, is they play extremely slow. And it was one of the things I wrote down while I was watching the game. I caught, I actually caught 
I caught the third game. I caught the, all the Memphis game, and I caught the first half of the Portland game and the second half of the Denver game. So I was a little bit uh, all around with the uh, Utah Jazz here. But when I was watching the Portland game, their backcourt was getting obliterated by Lillard and McCollum. I think Lillard and McCollum had maybe like 30 of the Blazers' first 35 points or something like that. It was it was something incredible, and it was because they could not stay in front of anybody. Um, you're right, they do have some, some sneaky shooters. NATO's uh, they, uh, their starting point guard, even though Trey Burke's obviously their primary point guard. And um, NATO's a sneaky shooter, but they just can't stay in front of guys. But that defensive... And Ingles, Ingles is in there bombing. Like, they, they just have a lot of guys who can shoot, even Booker. Like, in... Right. And, you know, and I'm not even looking from a stat point because I'm actually meant to follow up and, and kind of brush through this piece of paper with some of the stats I found. But I, mm-hmm. I ended up getting busy in the day. And, I mean, I'm going off of, you know, the eye test of watching these these couple of games. But they're just – it just they're very patient. And I think that's another aspect of why they're such a slow team is if the ball moves and it touches everybody's hands and they're just getting shots. And that's one thing their point guards can do. We talk about a question mark there, but their point guards can – I mean, Burke is a shooter. So I, I think, right. you know, it's, it's a positive. I think this team is going to be really good, actually. And I think I'm on board with them making the playoffs now. Oh really? No, you're you're in with them I, making the playoffs. See, I I kind of watched them and I was a little I was a little skeptical because I don't know how they're going to solve the, the the point the point guard problem or the guard problem in general. Like you're saying, so I'll I'll break down some statistics that I did find. They're last in pace in the NBA, um, 30 out of 30, which is no good. But they are first in defensive rating, 92.8 points per 100 possessions because that that front court of of Favors and Gobert is just, I mean, they're they're stoppers. They're both incredible defensive players, if just having one of them would make you a good defensive team and you put them both in the back there to, to protect a rim and it's just, and they're going to gobble up all the boards. Um, the, so we're talking about, you know, the, the backcourt and my potential solution would be to just go no point guard. My, my favorite lineup that I saw from the Jazz is uh, Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. And you have Gordon Hayward sort of play that point forward a la, you know, LeBron. That's just for the sake. I, I understand Gordon Hayward is no LeBron James. I'm just saying. He's going to be the primary ball handler, and he happens to He does, though. He has been doing that. I like that. I, I do like that set with when you have Hayward yeah. handling the ball. He, but and he's another right. one. He slows the pace because he's a very methodical player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I am not. I'm really – I have never been, and I'm not a huge uh, Trey Burke guy. I mean, I think that guy, more nights than not, he's a negative more than he's a positive. I mean, he had a really good – I don't think he missed a shot from the field, and he had, 20, you know, 23 points. But, you know, he's just one of those guys where, especially when you have big front court players like Gobert and Mike Favors, they sort of need to feel the ball on offense at least a little bit. And that guy is such a ball stopper that there's just some possessions that even if he's hot, it's just – the whole offense stops because it's just based on getting him the ball. And then it, it just really makes it an awkward offense, which I think is their, their biggest problem, obviously. They're winning games with their defense. Um, so I think they need to figure it out off offensively. And I think potentially it could be just not having Trey Burke on the floor. And, I mean, I think this team really honestly misses Dante Exum. I think a second year from Dante Exum with more experience and maybe a little bit more of a facilitator might have been beneficial for this team, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I would really like to see a, a closing lineup without without Burke in it. Yeah, I would I would like to see the NBA without Trey Burke. Um, <laughs> oh boy, no, that that might have went too far. You see, the thing with Trey Burke is my biggest problem with him is Trey Burke is your classic. He's like a Jameer Nelson, and right. you have to you have to like 
to me, Jameer Nelson is kind of the exception to the rule of Jameer Nelson's, if that makes any sense. Because yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's, it, it's almost like, you know, like something you could say about a J.J. Redick. It's like a, it's the, the type of game that you really have to work at. Like you have to – you can tell if these guys like Trey Burke are hungry because he can make it if he's really hungry. It's just a matter of, of work because he's – you know, it's he's the classic guy who was really good in college, comes to the NBA, and it's a lot harder, especially when you don't necessarily have point guard skills and you're a little undersized for what the NBA likes. And I just think Burke, Burke's going to need time. He's going to need to work on his game, and it's really up to him. Yeah, and I really like your Jameer Nelson comparison because he was a guy in his first couple of years in the league, people kind of thought the same thing, like maybe he can't really last. And then he really made a lane for himself and really made himself the player that he is now, which is, you know, in, uh, I think Jameer Nelson's probably in, what, his 12th year in the NBA, something like that. I mean, the guy's a 12-year veteran, you know, and, and basically has a spot on a, on a team, you know. I think if Jameer Nelson was one of those guys that could easily be waived, let's say, by the Denver Nuggets, and, you know, all your playoff teams are going to be trying to sign that guy for, like, a playoff run. And I, I mean, I think he has molded himself into that kind of player. So, Shout out to Jameer Nelson, my boy. Absolutely. No, I'm Shout good. out to Jameer Nelson. Uh, you have any more thoughts about the Jazz here? Um, so you, you think they are going to make the playoffs? I think they will too because I, I do. think that defense is so good. Yeah, I think that defense is good enough to do it. And Memphis um, is starting to scare me too. So I, I think there might, yeah, there might be a little room true. at the bottom there. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like the, the teams that the Jazz were playing, I was sort of like, I was more enamored because the, the Jazz, the other thing I wanted to say about them in closing is that they do, and I think we've gotten this by them being a slow team, they're kind of a boring team to watch a little bit. I think they were a little more boring than I thought they were going to be. I was expecting more flashy Rudy Gobert plays, and I didn't really see as many as I wanted to. Um, but so you find your, I found myself like looking at the other team that they were playing, like the Nuggets and the Trailblazers I was really intrigued by. But I was watching the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies more than the Jazz in that game, and I was really concerned about the Grizzlies. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. good there. Nothing. Yeah, we're, we're yeah we're we're gonna get into the to the Grizzlies here in a couple of weeks, and I think I might pick them as my team. <laughs> so, so just because I, I need some nostalgia, I, I need to watch some grit and grind, and before it goes away completely. So we're gonna move on to our our last segment of the show, which is the stud and scrub of the week. This is our fantasy segment where we basically tell you the best fantasy player of the week and maybe the worst. I, I'm gonna say not the worst, maybe the most disappointing. Um, so Andy, who is your stud of the week? Uh, we're going with uh, the stud of the week first, or you want me to do both? No, you. Well, yeah, do, no, do your stud, and then I'll do my stud, and then we can we can end it with the scrubs. I'm sorry, you had broken up a little bit there before. That's a, so my my stud of the week. I got uh, the beard man, James Harden, 38 and a half points per game this week. He had a 37 point game, a 28 point game, a 43 point game, and a 46 point game. And if you know me. I love my scores in fantasy basketball. That's why I picked Steph Curry last week. This week, it's James Harden for me. That's a, certainly a good pick. And uh, I thought about going with James Harden because I was watching the Clippers game last night, and he was just uh, yeah. killing them just in that first <laughs> quarter. I think he had a 20-point first quarter. But instead, I went with Paul George, um, who has okay. three 50-plus uh, DFS games this week. Um, he's killing it on the boards for his team, and we we thought that the Pacers were going to struggle to rebound. It seems like the solution might be for Paul George to grab 10-plus rebounds a game, which is exactly what he did this week. And, you know, I think he's really come out and he's led, you know, it's not fantasy-related, but he's really led the Pacers to sort of, you know, we thought they were going to struggle. They started over 3 and, you know, we said before the season that they needed Paul George to be prime Paul George in order to win games. 
And I think you're seeing beyond that. And you said he was going to go back into that position of being the third best small forward in the league. And I, I think I think we're seeing that. And it started this week with his incredible fantasy week. So we're going to move on to your scrub this week. Yeah, My scrub is David scrub. Lee. David Lee from the Boston Celtics is the biggest scrub in fantasy basketball. Um, I'd like to congratulate him and all of the wonderful fantasy writers that co-signed him saying that he was going to be the man in the rotation for the big guys. Hogwash, David Lee, you're washed, go away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you're losing minutes. Hashtag no stats needed. Yeah, anytime you're losing minutes to Jaron Sullinger, who who legitimately looks like a a, like offensive lineman out there now. So I mean, if you're losing minutes to that guy, even though Jaron Sullinger did have a good game this season or uh, this week, uh, I think he had like 21 and seven one day. But my my scrub is going to Rudy Gay. Um, He didn't really have a terrible a terrible week, um, but with Boogie out, you know, for all three games this week, there should have been a much higher production. And it's and it simply wasn't there. I mean, he was averaging less less fantasy points without Boogie in the lineup than he was with Boogie in the lineup, which shouldn't be because you would think he's getting much more usage. And so he should his numbers should be up. Even if he has to take thirty shots to get there, his numbers should have at least increased a little bit. Um so that is our show for tonight. Uh this has been episode six of the No Look Pass Podcast. You can catch us next Sunday from six thirty to seven o'clock. We will take you on the journey around the NBA. We will see you then, and I'm actually going to announce our team for next week is the Boston Celtics. Let's watch David Lee struggle on the court. So we are going to watch some Celtics, some Celtics basketball, and uh, like the great Jason Williams once told you, you know, basketball is like uh, basketball is like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. Good night. <laughs>